Good morning, everyone. I'm really glad that you're here at Church in the Valley today. Just wanted to welcome you. And uh, just glad you decided to spend some time with us here today. Um, my name is Jeep Underwood, and we're in the middle of a series right now on the family. Uh, it's the family and also just doing life with one another and just growing with one another. And the, the couple of weeks ago, we looked at just how the scriptures provide an ideal blueprint uh, for just family life and how if we'll build our families according to that ideal footprint of uh, blueprint, uh, it really will, it will really build strong, enjoyable families over time. And then last week, last week we looked at how, just how we can really struggle with just uh, stubborn selfishness and how we can pull family filibusters to kind of get the family to do what it is we want them to do. And we looked at really the solution to that. The thing that we really, really need to be doing is just submitting to one another and just taking our talents and our resources and our abilities and just really expending those for the family and just really uh, really being a team with one another. And the question we looked at last week was to kind of enable that is just what can I do to help? What can I do to help as we, as we relate to one another in the family? Well, today... Today we're going to be looking at conflict in the family. And uh, just, you know, if you if your family's normal, you have conflict. You know, there's, there's a lot of people in your family. they got different perspectives, different ways of thinking. And uh, they just see things from different points of view. And I heard, I heard a speaker years ago that if there's two people that think exactly the same, then one of them's not needed. So we definitely need everyone in the family. We need all the perspectives. We need, uh, we really need to have, uh, everyone really pulling together and really sharing their gifts with one another. Um, this last week I was looking at an article, I read an article online. It was called Weather and Mood. And the subtitle was Rainy with a Chance of Depression. And, you know, it's just like, and the point of the article was, you know, as you get in, as you, as you're in gloomy weather, which is why some people have a hard time, uh, being in Seattle, but uh, when you're in gloomy weather all the time, it really it really can depress your mood. And if you're in like really good weather and sunshiny weather, it really can elevate your mood. It's just a it's a biological fact. When we're when there's ongoing conflict in our families, it really is like gloomy weather. It really can be like gloomy weather that just kind of presses down on us. Um, and if it's left unchecked and if it's left uh, unresolved, it, it really just kind of it just kind of takes away the enjoyment out of family life. And it can, it can really spill over and kind of sap the joy out of different areas of your life as well. And in family, there's all kinds of ways to experience friction. So there's plenty of chance for gloomy weather in your family. And what I wanted to, what I wanted to look at today is, is just how those storms in that, you know, when you're in a, when you're in an environment where it is stormy and it, it just, it can get really ominous. In fact, if you look at the screen, have you guys ever been in a storm where there was major lightning strikes? You know, that's a, uh, I'm glad I'm not in that storm right now, but, uh, if you've ever been, uh, like in a really crazy storm, I grew up in Northern California, up in the high Sierras, and we would have bad thunderstorms once in a while, but the worst one I was ever in was in a little town called Kalinga in Central California, when my mom and dad lived there when I was in college. And I was home visiting one time, and it was raining really hard, and the thunderstorm, you could hear thunder off in the distance. And we just thought, well, it's kind of a bummer day. We're just gonna, we'll go, we're gonna go bowling. And the bowling alley in Kalinga was a really run-down place on the outskirts of town. And so you didn't go there very often. You definitely didn't want to eat there. But, uh, but we went, we went to this bowling alley, 
And we had, I mean, we had fun in there. But as you're, as we're bowling, you could hear, it wasn't just the, the clash of the pins. We start hearing thunder, getting closer and closer. And then we started thinking, well, you know, it's about time. When we're done, we finish the game. We start to head out. We open the door and it's raining like crazy. And the thunder is just like thundering, like, like the storm is almost on us. And you can see lightning strikes and different, you know, just kind of around in the area. And you're like, well, well, maybe we ought to just hang out for a while. And so we go back inside and we get back inside and no lie, the roof, the, the roof breaks. There's this one corner of the roof, like it's a parapet roof, which has like a parapet walls. And so it contains water, there's roof drains. The drains obviously weren't working because the roof just failed. And like there's this river coming down in the corner of the, of the room with like, it's kind of surreal. And they had a bunch of workers came out there and started taking care of things. But we're like, okay, we can't stay inside. Maybe we shouldn't stay inside either. So so we go and we head out to the door. And we we're almost got the guts to run out in the rain in this thunderstorm. And then right then, I've never been this close to a lightning strike before in my life. The lightning struck this power, kind of a uh, power substation or something that was right next to us. It probably wasn't a substation, but it was just some power equipment. It struck and you could almost feel the electricity in the air. It was like, you know what? We'll, we'll go with the flood. <laughs> we're just gonna, we're just gonna stay in here. And so, you know, we're just like, you know, we're, we're just gonna wait this one out. And so, you know, bad storms, you just think, well, I'm gonna wait this thing out. And another, th- you know, another thing about being in stormy weather, it's really hard to travel or to make progress in it. If you look at the screen, here's a, here's a picture of just a rainstorm and driving into the rainstorm. And if you, if you guys ever been in a situation like this, the rain, the, 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 the storm is so bad that you just can't even see where you're going. And so it uh, really, it really just gets in the way. I've been in a few of these. Fog can be that way. I won't tell the story this morning, but I've been in some pretty intense fog where you open the door to see where the yellow line is so you can get off the road. But, you know, these, these pictures are kind of, they're a good picture of what it looks like if there's really storms brewing because of unresolved conflict in your family that just keeps brewing along. And when your family does have a lot of unresolved conflict that, that doesn't get dealt with, it's really hard to team up and make progress towards goals because you can't really see very well. And just like driving in the rain, and sometimes it can be really unsettling. And uh, you just think, well, I'm just going to have to wait this out. I'm going to wait this storm out before I engage. And it really can and really does sap the enjoyment out of family life. So what I wanted to do today is just look at this idea of just how to, how to help resolve conflict, how to be a, do our part to resolve conflict. So I'd like to start with what Paul says in Romans 14. Romans 14, 19, Paul just says, So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. One, one uh, version says, building up one another. But really, building, that word building is kind of, it's a, it's a construction term that Paul's applying to relationships. And so we really need, we really need to be building up our families. And we need to be thinking about how to build each other's up in our, within our family and everybody taking responsibility for that. And with the same intentionality of building a house. Because you're going to live there. So when you're building your own house, you, you take great care in it because you're going to be, you're going to be living there. But he says, pursue what makes for peace. And so, you know, resolving conflict and pursuing peace is one of the major parts of the process of building each other up. You know, pursuing peace is the major, one of the major parts of the process of building each other up. In fact, 
It's kind of the atmosphere within which it happens. Now, when you're in the middle of a conflict, it's easy, it's easy to think, I'm just, I just want this to be over so I can go on with enjoying my life. I just want this to be over. But if we, if we don't work to pursue peace in the, in the friction and the conflict, uh, in our families, then our family dynamic can really become toxic with wrong attitudes and wrong words and it can, it can get really negative and actually you don't have that enjoyment that you really wanted. And so it's something you can't be passive about. You really need to be striving to make peace to really have the family life that you really want. And so we need to not do just what we feel like, but really do what's wise. Now, uh, when I think, when I think of conflict, I want to tell you a story just about a project that I was on uh, as the as an engineer with the Corps of Engineers and some conflict we had and kind of just just how God really used that to really teach me some things that, that have really, really been helpful to me. Um, this project, it started, it's in Nogales, Arizona, which is right almost on the border. Like if, if, in fact, I made a mistake once, I missed the exit, and I was in line to leave the country, so I had to make a U-turn and leave. So, I mean, it's like like two miles away from the border. So I was given this. My boss gave this to me. He says, okay, I want this project was designed like 15 years ago. I want you to get it out on the street for contractors to bid on it within four months. Oh, okay, all right. What, what's the name of it again? <laughs> you know, it's, so I you know, took this in, and we began to really look at the, look at the project. And, we, and what we found was that the project, it was a flood-controlled channel, but it had, had, been, it had been designed, but there, was a, there were a couple of bridges and a sewer line that just really had very little work done on them. So the four months became a year and four months, and we had to hire an AE, an architect engineering firm, to design the two bridges and this sewer line. Now, then we got to construction, and I, it, is, it was one of the hardest geologic sites that I've ever been a part of. Every, pro, every problem that I've ever seen on any project was on this one. In fact, there was a couple I learned about <laughs> on this one. I just, and so I'm not, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just keep this a high level, I won't go into the weeds. But there were just there was a lot of problems with this project, uh, with the with the subsurface conditions, and we're trying to dig and build things, and we just had all kinds of problems. In fact, it's the first time I was a part of a project that a part of it failed, like it just didn't work. And so we it was the sewer line. So we got this sewer line all in. Contractor put it all in. Problem was, is it uh, didn't hold water, and uh, that's a, that's kind of a problem. And uh, it kind of kind of did this a little bit, but. You know, just, yeah. In fact, I actually learned how to testify, uh, at trials because of that one. But so we, eventually this, this conflict went, went somewhere else. Uh, but it actually has nothing to do with the story today, so let me go on. So, you know, I was, I was charged to investigate, like, what went wrong. You know, what, what is it that caused this to fail so that we can not do that in the future? Plus, figure out how we go from where we're at to where we need to be. So I, I went through and I started investigating and, one thing I found out is that the architect engineering firm had put had specified the wrong kind of pipe. So the pipe we had in the ground was the wrong pipe. And then I looked at the, the contractor, his installation, his method of doing it, it just didn't do very well. He didn't really take into account the subsurface conditions, and that's why the pipe was moving all around. And so they had a real part to play in it. And then one thing I noticed, one thing I found too as I was looking into it is that the Corps of Engineers, the engineers that had the, the, the folks that had worked on this in the past, in fact, they were uh, contemporaries of mine, there were some things that they hadn't done in the geotechnical investigation. They, they had not done a very good job with the geotechnical investigation. 
Otherwise, we'd have known about all this and we could have designed about it. And so I found out we had a part to play in it. And it kind of ruined my whole approach because I was just kind of mad at people for messing up and then realized, oh, wait, we have a part to play in this. And then there was going to we, we had a meeting scheduled for, from our construction folks and our engineering folks where we had to figure out a way ahead. Now, the only, th- you know, if you, if you want to experience some conflict, go to a meeting between construction and engineering. Because as soon as you get into a meeting with construction and engineering, the fingers come out and, you know, things like, well, you didn't do this and you didn't do this. And, and so I was, I was not, I was not anticipating this meeting going very well. And I was really, I, was, I had some angst because I, I wanted the project to succeed, but I was trying to figure out how we're going to get there. And I, a, a few days, just a few days before this meeting, as it was coming up on the calendar, I was at church, and uh, our senior pastor, Randy Lanthrop, was speaking on wisdom. And he, he was speaking on uh, James three seventeen and 18. And I want to just kind of show you some of the things that he was mentioning that morning. He says, James says this, he says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And that just that just landed on me big time. And I realized, hey, this is something I really need to pay attention to. This is really applicable to what I'm dealing with. And then Randy just kind of walked through and he, he said that word pure. What it means is it's like one motive. It's just you have one motive. And as he said that, it just there was this whole approach that came to my mind and I realized that when I go into this meeting, I need to have one motive, and that motive is that the project would go forward, that we'd solve the problem, and not that I'd try to make engineering look good, that I'd try to make myself look good and, and try to cover up anything that, that, that any of heart that we had to play. But I had to have one motive going into this. And then the words of peaceable and gentle and reasonable just really resonated with me. So I, I, uh, I wrote this verse down, and I began to work on memorizing it. And as we went into this meeting, it was a few days, a couple of days later, I went into this meeting, and it kind of went the way I thought. You know, it's there was a lot of folks from construction, several folks in a high, uh, from engineering. The higher-ups were there, and, you know, everyone, the fingers come out, and they start, the pointing starts happening, and and uh, and they began, they began to blame some things on engineering, and I started to get frustrated, and my voice started to raise. And when my voice started to raise, I could, I could see that, you know, the temperature in this room was getting more and more, and people were getting frustrated, and, this verse came to my mind and I thought, you know what? I need, I need, I'm, I'm doing the wrong thing here. So I just, I said, guys, real quick, let me just, I want to tell you guys something. And that is, I just need to apologize for raising my voice right now. I'm sorry I did that. And I'll tell you what, I've been thinking since construction, since you guys started talking, I think you guys have some good points and I think they're, they're actually pretty reasonable what you guys have been saying. And when I said that, I could just see the tension in the room just go down. And all of a sudden, we became a team. There was a, more of a teamwork. I realized that I had been playing against my team. And for me, at that moment when that happened, it just, it just, it was a, it was a lesson that really just resonated with me. It really resonated with me. It was, and it was something that, that's carried through with me onto the future is that really, to really make things happen and really work as a team, you really need to, uh, just have one motive going in and just, uh, and really watch the way you, you communicate. And so, you know, conflict in the family, conflict in the family is much harder than a work conflict because it's much more personal. 
and you and you care a lot more, you know. And so, just imagine, just imagine this picture, this picture of James three. Imagine that picture operating in your family. If everyone in your family were really approaching your family life that way, just the the benefit that would really come from that. But what keeps us from that picture? And so I want, I want we're going to take a look at that right now. What what keeps us from that picture? And we're going to, the very next thing that, we're going to be looking at the very next thing that James wrote. So this is the very end of chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at chapter 4 now. When when James wrote this, he wasn't writing chapter 3 and then chapter 4. He was just writing a letter. And so we don't even know his hand, his pen may not have lifted from the time he wrote James, uh, James three seventeen and 18. But he says this. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? What causes fights and quarrels among you? And, you know, that's the question. You know, when we hear that question, our knee-jerk reaction is just like in the Nogales Project is just to begin the blame game, to kind of pull out the fingers and start pointing at other people saying, well, they didn't do this, they didn't do this. And uh, if everyone would just do what I think, then we'd really have peace around here. And so it's real, it's real, that's what happens when we hear that question is, you know, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Well, then James goes on and he says this, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Don't they come with your desires that battle within you? James takes our fingers and he points them back at us. And he just, he points it, he says, you know what? There's something, there's something inside of you. There's something inside of me. That it's a desire. There's a desire. There's something that you really want. And there's a conflict inside of you. And that conflict is causing conflict with other people. There's this, there's this thing that you really want. So let's, let's go on, let's go on next to it. James, as he continues to write, he says this, you desire, but you do not have. So you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You know, the conflict, he says the conflict that's inside of us, is that there's something we really want and we don't get it. There's something we want and we're not getting it. And then he says, he says, so you kill. Now he, he was writing this to a church, so I'm, I'm assuming he's, he's using hyperbole here. But, you know, there's really, you know, there's things that we want so badly that we're willing to hurt people to get them. Uh, you know, parents can really, uh, damage the relationship with their kids, uh, because there's just something they're, they're, they're not doing that they want them to do. Or the other way around. It could be that, you know, parents can really damage the relationship with their mom and dad. Because their mom and dad really aren't doing what it is they wanted to do. You know, all of, all of our conflicts with other people in the family almost always involve some part of us not getting what we want. And it may, it may not be all of the problem. In fact, it probably is not all of the problem, but it's a part of the problem. And so, so there's a, there's a question. There's a question that gets out, that's asked often, and that is, you know, why do you hurt the people that are closest to you? Um, James would say that's because they're close to you. You know, they're, they're close to you, so they're close enough to really get, uh, really get hurt by some of the things that you're doing. And so this, you know, he really puts this on the bottom shelf. And this week, as I've been, as I've been thinking through this talk and spending time with this talk, uh, I've been doing real business with this personally and just really, just really seeing this, how much that I personally need God. I personally need God very much. And this, I really need His help. I really need His grace. Because there's things like this that, that I do. And there's things like this that I really need to work through with my family. So what I'd like to do now, 
I'd like to now is just turn it, turn it around a little and see how can we use this truth to really positively impact our family? How can we use this to really positively impact our family? Imagine, imagine if you're in the middle of a conflict and it may be the conflict's escalating or maybe it's the very beginning of the conflict, but you just take a pause. You just pause and you take a deep breath and you recognize, you know, part of what I'm feeling right now is that I'm not getting what I want. Part of what I'm feeling right now is that I'm not really getting what I want. You know, that could really change everything in your family if everyone in your family were to actually look at their part and what it is they're not getting. That could really change your family dynamic. Uh, and really, if each person in your family just recognized, you know, part of the problem is that I'm not getting what I want. And, the, you know, the moment, the moment you own your part, the moment you own your part of a conflict, it really gives you a completely different perspective on it. Like my Nogales Wasp investigation. You know, I started out frustrated and angry at the contractor, but then when I realized that we really had a part to play that they didn't have all the correct information they needed about what was down there 30 feet deep, uh, I realized that we had not drilled in the right places, and I took ownership of the fact that we had a part to play. What it is, it took away a lot of my frustration and my anger as I realized that we're all in this together, and we really need to work together as a team to really work our way through it. It really just changed my whole perspective on that. So when we're, we're in our families, you know, if you think of the conflict as you're in with your family or someone in your family, if you think of like a, uh, like a pie and a slice of the pie, you think of like, you know, what's my, what's my part? If we'll own our part of the conflict, uh, you know, what it is that we really want that's really causing some pressure and strain, the temperature really goes down, the tension goes down, and you really realize that we're all in this together and you really need to begin working with each other. And you just find that you don't fight and quarrel quite so much. And the next, you know, just you, you, you begin to develop some real humility and uh, some empathy for the other people in your family as you realize that you're really all this in this together. And it really makes a, it really makes a huge difference. So let's move on to the next thing that James says. James says, you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. If you were, before the, before the conflict starts, before the argument starts, if you were to, in, in that pause, in that pause, if you were to come to God and pray, come to God and pray and really just and pour your heart out to Him and take what you're not getting, that thing you want, to Him. And, you know, maybe there's something that you want from your husband, something you want from your wife, something you want from your kids, something you want from your your mother or your father, but you're just not getting it. Just take that take that to God and really just deal with Him with it. You know, maybe maybe there's a part of what you want that they can't even give you. You know, maybe there's a significance in your life that you're looking for, and they just they can't give that to you. You know, maybe, maybe there's a... Uh, you really want people to think well of you. And so their behavior, you know, they, they really just can't do what you need them to do to give you what you want. There's just something going on there. There's really only what God can do for you. And so just spend time with God and ask God to really reveal your heart to you and deal with him over what it is you want and your motivation for wanting it and really spend time with him. And when you do this, when you spend time with him and you just begin to reflect on, God, what is it that I want here that I'm not getting? What you'll find is that your piece of the pie 
Well, sometimes you begin to open up and begin to see, I have a bigger part to play here than I thought I did. And this is one of the things that's been landing on me this week, and I've been thinking through this a lot with my relationships right now, is what, what have I been doing that has been causing some of the conflict around me? So when we pause, when we pause and own our part of the conflict and then pray and ask God to really search our heart and our motivations about what it is we want, what it does is it, it builds a bridge. It starts to build a bridge of reconciliation to the other person. It starts to build a bridge of reconciliation to the other person. And what I want to do as we, uh, as we begin to wrap up this morning is I want to look at some advice from Solomon. Uh, some advice from Solomon. As we begin to walk across that bridge, we take ownership of our part in it, uh, and we really spend time with God, and, and we begin to develop this bridge of reconciliation. As we walk across that bridge, here's some helpful advice. Because as you do that, it's really a verbal thing. It's really words that you're going to be using as you begin to really want to connect with someone to help reconcile. And I would, would start with this. And this is, uh, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 7, he says, Also do not take seriously all words which are spoken, so that you, so that you will not hear your servant cursing you. For you also have realized that you likewise have many times cursed others. What he, he's, what he's saying is, you know, just don't take so seriously every word that's spoken because you know that you've said some things in the past that you really regret. In fact, you may have just said something that you really regret. But as you work towards reconciliation, sometimes it may not be received as well as you'd hoped right at the beginning, but don't, don't take what you get initially uh, don't take it so seriously. Just know that they're working through things as well. And really forgive them and keep moving towards reconciliation. And then the next thing that Solomon, with some advice that he would give us, is just Solomon would say in Proverbs 17, says the beginning of strife is like letting out water. So abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. Now, I love this verse because it's a flood control type verse. It's a, it's basically a dam. You know, if you... uh you start letting water. In fact, one morning I remember, I remember driving to work. I was in, I was, there was a, pro, there was a project called Prado Dam that we were raising the dam up about 28 feet down in, uh, Corona. Driving to work one day, listening to the news like I usually did, and it said, uh, Prado Dam near failure. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember how it ended. It's like Prado Dam near failure. I kind of lost it at that point. I'm like, near failure? Oh my gosh. I'm start, I went a little faster to work, got to work. Guys, what's happening with Prado Dam? And they said, it's not failing. I went, okay, well, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. But what happened is there was some seepage. Like we had narrowed the, the, we had narrowed the, uh, the depth of the dam for the raising part. But we had this huge storm that, that brought some water in. There was some seepage going through the dam, but it wasn't causing problems. But there's a kind of seepage. If you have a dam, you have what this, is, what this verse is talking about is you have a little bit of water that begins to travel. And as it travels, it erodes a little bit. And then as it erodes a little bit, more water can travel. And so then it begins to erode more. And then more water can travel. Until finally, you got this huge breach that's happening that can't be stopped. And the dam fails. And what he's saying is, is abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. So you know, you know those little, you get in a conversation with, with your, someone in your family, you have those little digs that go back and forth. And you know when it starts to happen, you start doing the little digs back and forth. What Solomon would say is just abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. Because the more that goes back, then you say something a little bit more, they say something a little bit more, till finally it's full-blown. And so 
just abandon that before before it happens. And then Solomon also in Proverbs 15 would say this. He says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You know, a, gen, a gentle answer really just absorbs anger. And if you, if you ever doubt this, just try it. You, you know, you can just, you're in a conflict and things are kind of going south. Just take your tone and lower it and just watch what happens. You, you will see that the, the tension and the pressure within them will begin to leave the situation and you can begin thinking more clearly. And it really opens other people up to really hear you. And the, ten, the tension really goes down. So just watch, don't say things harshly. And if you do, just apologize for it and uh, go back to just being gentle with the way you're relating. And then, Proverbs 12. Solomon says, There is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You know, a wise person doesn't take all the words so seriously that they lose control and just start speaking rashly. You know, just just cutting words, words that cut people down. They, what they do, though, is their words, they're gentle words, and they start they bring healing to the situation. You know, one thing you can do is really draw the other person out. Like, hey, what is it? What is it you? What is it you're you're dealing with right now? What? And try to really come to a place where you really understand what it is that they're facing. And when people see that, it really brings real healing to the situation. So your words your words really really matter. And that brings us back to the picture in James chapter three, just back to wisdom. That picture in James chapter three is a picture of wisdom. You know, the wisdom from above is first pure then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits. And it's sown in peace by those who make peace. It's really, the wisdom from above is really lives in the lives of those people who make peace. And so if you can build that into your family where you're making peace with one another, it really does bring your family a lot closer together. So as we, as we, as we wrap up, as we end this morning, the question I'd have is who, who in your family or who outside of your family do you need to build a bridge with today? Who in your family or outside of your family do you need to build a bridge with today? You know, there's, you know, there's something maybe that you've been wanting, you're not getting it. Take that to God and really own it. And then wisely initiate with them this week and begin to work towards reconciliation. You know, maybe, maybe this week there's a letter that you need to write. Maybe this week there's a, there's an email you need to write or a phone call you need to make or maybe a conversation you need to have or, uh, just, uh, maybe a lunch just to schedule so that you can really just connect with someone and show them that you care and that you want to reconcile. So with that, I'd like to ask the band to go ahead and come back up. Uh, we'll go through a few next steps. Um, and then if you haven't finished filling out your connection card, now's a great time to do it. You can drop that in the offering bucket when it comes by. But this morning, maybe, maybe for you, just your next step would just be to identify your part or my part in a conflict that you're facing. Or maybe, maybe for you, it's just to pursue peace by seeking to reconcile with someone this week. Or maybe God's really just put something else on your mind that you really need to respond to. I really encourage you to do that. So with that, let me pray and we'll get back to the service. Dear God, Father, uh, just very grateful to you for what you've done in our lives. And God, I pray that you'd really use us in our families to make peace. And I pray that you really create around us a family that really cares for one another and really pulls together in team. In Jesus' name, amen.